You know, prayer is an amazing thing, as we've been told. What an incredible privilege it is to come into God's presence um, and to speak to the creator of the universe and to know that he loves you enough to listen and then to respond to your requests. We're going to take some time to pray now. We're just going to ask as a congregation that God would be at work in our world. Um, I'm going to pray for the election tomorrow. God's will would be done. and We're going to pray against COVID. And we're going to pray for those who struggle. So let's come to God. Lord, we do come to you as a people who believe in prayer. Um, Lord, who hold it high as a value. And who recognize, uh, as has been suggested, the incredible privilege that we have to pray. To have the ear of God. To know, as Jesus said, that if we ask anything in his name, that it will be done for us. Um, And Lord, we come now. Because we are invited into this. You desire for us to be in relationship with you in this way. Yes, both to pray to you and to listen. God, we come as we are concluding today a series on holiness. We come in confession, first of all. We know, Lord, so often we do what is wrong. And whether it be the way we think, uh, the motivations of our hearts, the actions we take or don't take. And Lord, we, uh, we, 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 we don't do what you will, what you desire. We take this holy law and we set it aside and we do our own thing. And today we pray that you would forgive us. Um, as you have so often before, based on the shed blood of Christ, our God, we pray for that forgiveness now. And Lord, we receive it because you've promised it to us. Those who are Christ's, those um, who are part of your family, you just want us in that close, intimate relationship with you. And we thank you for forgiveness. Lord, we do come to pray. We pray for the election that will happen in this country tomorrow. Lord, we know that you're a sovereign God, that um, you establish the governments that uh, lead us. And we pray tomorrow that your will would be done. And Lord, we pray for our country, which seems to be divided and um, conflicted. God, we pray that you would move us beyond that and move us toward a greater sense of unity and and commonality as, as a people. God, we want to pray against uh, COVID that persists and how we would all long, uh, Lord, to be beyond it in terms of the uh, interferences that it brings into our lives. Father, I want to thank you that we are able to meet here today, uh, 120 or so. We see the numbers rising again of people who are coming back slowly to uh, worship you in person. And Lord, to be able to sing and to hear the voices of your people. It's a beautiful thing. And God, we pray for the people who are at home right now who are continuing to be careful. And, and um, we pray that, Lord, even as they are watching, that they would experience community and worship with your people. So bless them where they are. And our Lord, our prayer is that, uh, that you would act and that we would see this scourge in our society uh, dealt with that we would be able to move beyond it in the sense of it not interfering with life and that we would find uh, the freedom again to just enjoy one another and 
in, in, in proximity and in fellowship and in connection. Lord, you're a sovereign God, and we pray that by your power, uh, COVID would be overcome. Lord, we want to pray also for people who struggle, uh, some with physical illness, Lord, some with mental illness because of COVID, um, some who have just been on their own for so, so long without real human connection. Lord, whatever the challenge, we pray that you would move by your spirit and that you would meet need and that you would bring healing and that you would restore what has um, been harmed, what has been lost in our lives. Lord, turn our hearts to you first and foremost because as we turn our hearts to you, our deepest needs are met. And we pray, Lord, that it, uh, the people who are struggling the most right now would experience that reality, would know your presence, would know your love, would know your joy, would know your blessing. Lord God, we're here now to turn to your word, to seek to really understand with all of our hearts what you want to say to us today through it. You have spoken in Scripture, and it's for us to listen now, for that still small voice, that, that message that you have for us. And it's for us to have our hearts and minds open to you. And then, Lord, it will be for us to respond to what you say. So, God, we're ready and we're willing and we're eager to hear from you. Speak now, we pray, by your Spirit into our lives. Amen. Well, as we do come to the end of this series uh, on holiness... My hope and my prayer is that you're really beginning to take hold of this idea that so often has been uh, left to the side in the Christian church in our generation, that you're beginning to really get that we are to live holy lives before God. Uh, that God is holy. That's where it begins. That's the root of it. That's the starting point. God is holy. He's morally pure. And he calls us to holiness. And put it another way, he calls us to moral purity. And, and you know, many of us look at that and, 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 and we think, you know, what a challenge. You know? Many of us haven't been able to take hold of that in the way that we wanted, and I hope today will really make a difference to you. Um, we don't do this as a means to gain God's approval. I hope I've made that absolutely clear. The, the approval that comes from God is because of the work of Christ on the cross. What Jesus did as he bore our penalty on the tree, the Old Testament says, gained his approv the approval of God, the acceptance of God. It can't happen otherwise. Um, but when we're in the family, when we come to that place where we are the children of God, where we have received Christ, where we are loved by God, where we are his, um, we're called to holiness. God really cares. I'm going to show you a quote by Timothy Keller, a really famous now Presbyterian pastor from New York City, now retired. And this is what he wrote. Religion. I obey, therefore I am accepted. That's how the whole world thinks. That's not biblical, Christian, Holy Spirit-inspired thought. You know, you get to the place where you live your life in such a fashion that God will accept you. That's how I'm accepted by God something. But that's a religious dynamic. Well, I'm not done yet. That's a religious dynamic, right? 
Um, and that's the legalism that we've referenced lots in this series. That's not what we believe. The gospel of Jesus is, I am accepted, therefore I obey. I have been accepted because of what Christ did on the cross. And I have come to believe in that with all of my heart. And I have found the forgiveness of God. And I have been reconciled by, by, to God through Christ. And out of that reality, I'm ready to obey. You see, our choosing to live as God calls us to live a holy life is out of love for God. It's out of gratitude to God. It's in order to honor God with our lives. Let me read, I'm going to read to you uh, Ephesians chapter 5, verses uh, 1 to 5. And um, I'm just looking in my notes, and I wrote down Ephesians 1. Is that what I wrote down for you gentlemen at the back? No, you're way ahead of me, and that's fantastic. And I'm reading this to you just as an example of the multitude of passages in the Bible that speak to holiness. It says this, follow God's example. Let's stop right there. We're to be like God. Be holy as I am holy. Be like me. Live like me. Follow God's example. Therefore, as dearly loved children and walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. And the next verse says, But among you there must not even be a hint of sexual immorality or any kind of impurity or of greed because these are improper for God's holy people. Nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse joking, which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. For this, you can be sure, no immoral, impure, or greedy person, such a person as an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Now, just hold that for a second, please. <laughs> My, we've got eager people back there. That's, that's, that's a powerful statement because you might think, you know, I have to live in such a way in order to have an inheritance of the kingdom of God. No, 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 no. Once you've been accepted, you live in such a fa fashion, fashion out of gratitude. And such people who have been saved are in this process of moving toward greater holiness. Taking the example of God and embracing it more and more and more. We don't earn our salvation. It is given to us by the grace of God and we live as we live out of love for God, not of gratitude for God. That's, this is foundational stuff. So in this last uh, sermon in the series, um, Your Holiness, you remember the double entendre that I played with in our first service. How is your holiness? Let's take a minute. How holy a life do you live before God? Um, here's what's way, way, way too common for those people who follow Jesus. You know, we want to be holy. Uh, the Lord, by his grace, identifies an area where we think, oh, I've got to deal with that one. I've got to eject that sin, or I've got to do something that I'm not doing because I'm called to it, if you would. And we get busy. We give ourselves to that end, and we try, and we try, and we try, and we try. But despite our very best efforts, we fail. And we find ourselves unable to change. Now, I'm not going to ask for a show of hands, but anybody relate to that? It's pretty common. We want it, but we can't, um, we can't quite get there. And this is a discouraging reality, and some people even give up hope of ever being free from the sin that entangles them, referencing Hebrews 12 that we, we talked about last week. Um, and they continue to live with jealousy or with pride or 
you know, with, with the desire for revenge. I mean, all, all the addictions that exist, the substance abuse, the sexual addiction, the food addiction, the social media addiction, the gambling addiction, the shopping addiction. Like, it, the list is like huge now, right? All of these things that just take life from us. Keep us from living the life that God wants us to live and the life that Jesus died that we might know. You see, all of these things destroy life. They don't bring life. Although for fleeting moments, we might think so. So today what I want to do is to go a little deeper with you and with God. To, 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 to lay out the way it is that we can take hold of holiness. I'm going to suggest what I want... I want to suggest what I want to suggest to you, okay, <laughs> is a far more spiritual approach to finding holiness in life. And it's in this place I want to tell you where grace and holiness come together. They're wed as one. And to do this... Um, what we're going to do is go to Ezekiel 36, 24 to 27. Now, Ezekiel was a great prophet of God, one of the major prophets in the Old Testament. And, of course, these people would speak for God, for the most part to the people who are, were before them, but obviously uh, many times their comments reference the future. And this is one of them here. And it says this, Ezekiel, 30, Ezekiel 36, uh, verses 24 to 27. For I will take you out of the nations, I will gather you from all the countries, and will bring you back into your own land. I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and from all your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. I want to tell you, that text is full of promise if you want to live a holy life. Powerfully. It's, it's, what it's speaking to is the promise of God of what would be when Jesus would come. That, that, that one who was God living among us, God in human form, walking on planet Earth. One who would die for us, as I've said, to bear the penalty of our sins so that we could be reconciled to God, forgiven of all the sin that we would ever commit. It's, this, it's an outstanding standing remarkable belief that we would be forgiven by God and we would be made his children we'd be drawn into the, this relationship with God and then in that place in that process in that moment of salvation that we would have our hearts changed that we would be transformed let me dig into this verse 24 it just talks about how God would bring his people back to him that had a geographical ap application in that day Again, the whole exile of God's people, they've been driven from Jerusalem in their home, and Ezekiel's saying, I'm going to bring you back. God's saying this, I'm going to bring you back to that location. But for our uh, uh, experience, it's a reference to how God would bring us back to himself. Think about how we walked away from the Garden of Eden because of sin, and God said, I'm going to bring you back to me, and you're going to have a place of belonging in me. You're going to have a home in me. Of course, think of Jesus' common references to this. You know, John 15, live in me. Make your home in me as I make my home in you, and so on. And then verse 25, and we're going to dig into the text a little bit as we go here. Verse 25 says this, I will sprinkle you with water and you will be clean. Clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and from all of your idols. My goodness, what, what God is saying is, I'm going to act and you will be purified, you know. And he does this for those who receive Christ. He does this for those who find this salvation that the Bible speaks to. 
I want you to remember the phrase, the great exchange. I think I've used it but never given emphasis to it. But in the cross, there was a great exchange took place. Jesus took to himself our sin, our shame, our guilt, and he paid the penalty for it. And in that moment, (laughs) he gave us his righteousness. His righteousness. So that when God the Father looked at all those who would follow after him and believe in him, he doesn't see sin anymore. He sees the righteousness of Christ. Do you believe this? Hebrews 10.14 says this. For by one sacrifice he has made perfect those who are being made holy. Now if you are in Christ, what does that make you? Perfect in the eyes of God. And you are one by, in whom the Holy Spirit is at work so that you would be made holy. As we've talked about, the process of sanctification. The ongoing work of God in you. It's an amazing thing. In verse 26. Um, now we're getting to, to, the, to the heart of this text. And I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I'm telling you, if you have found Christ, if you have been transformed by the power of God's Spirit, it's speaking to something that has happened in you, that God has come along to your heart, the core of your being, and he has transformed it. He has changed you. Deep inside you, you have been made new. 2 Corinthians 5.17, this is the New Testament expression of this same idea. Um, It's a really well-known verse. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ... The new creation has come. The old is, has gone. The new is here. And it's speaking to this reality that our hearts have been made new. No longer a heart of stone, now a heart of flesh, a heart that beats for God. A heart that has this desire to be holy, eager for holiness in life, out of a desire to love and honor God. No longer do, is there some external force of, of law that's being placed upon us that we chafe against. No longer is it something that that we have to do but don't really want to do. No, now there's this willingness within so that we stop fighting God's rule. We celebrate it. We stop resisting God's way. Rather, we trust him implicitly and celebrate the idea of living according to his law. If you would, there's a new propensity that God has put in within us. It's no longer this desire to sin. It's this desire to be holy this eagerness for it, this longing for it. Another person, Ezekiel, I won't reference, but he said, I will write my law in your heart. No longer external to us, it's in us. It's our heart's desire. Now this isn't always easy. Sin is powerful and we have an enemy, the devil, who will tempt us. And you know, we've formed habits over a lot of years. Like I, I was thinking just, like think about this illustration just as an example. It's sort of light and, and so forth, but it says something I think pretty powerful. If you... For 30 years, when you hit your thumb with a hammer, utter a particular expletive. And then you come to Christ and you hit your thumb with a hammer. It's not going to be that hard to go back to that same expletive, is it? It's a habit. It's just what happens. But even in that context, I want to tell you, something has changed within us. And we don't want the old way anymore. We don't want it because we've been made new. So really the foundational question in this regard that we all need to ask ourselves is have we been made new by the grace and the love and the mercy of God? You know, um, or are we still the old creation, still under the power of sin, still 
in that place where Paul writes that sin has mastery over us, uh, that Paul writes that we are still slaves to sin, so that we don't have the freedom to be otherwise. I'm going to take you to Matthew 7, 15 to 18. This is Jesus speaking, and he, he's speaking to this reality. He says this, watch out for false prophets. So what he wants to do is identify people who are really not prophets of God, but who claim to be. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly, and note that, they are ferocious wolves. By their fruit, you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree produce, uh, bears bad fruit. Right? Um, a good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. He, see, he's talking about us as trees. And the reality of what is internal to us will produce what comes out of us, whether it's our words, our actions, our thoughts. What Jesus is saying, quite frankly, is a bad tree cannot be holy. You get this? Because, because our nature, our, our internal dynamic, that which is, will produce how we live. Our holiness is dependent on the renewing work of God's Spirit within us. And my friends, here is where grace and holiness begin to collide. If God, by his grace, has saved you, if he has transformed your heart, by his grace, it's not what you deserve and it's not of your own effort, it's entirely of God. If he has done that thing, if he's acted in grace, you will begin to exhibit holiness. And you'll long for it in greater measure than in what is now the reality. Can I ask again, have you been made new internally? Let me go on to the other critical verse in Ezekiel. We're going to read verse 27, but I'm going to read 26 again. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. Now, this is, this is mind-blowing stuff. <laughs> because what God does after he changes our hearts is to give us a new power to enable us to live holy lives. He gives us the strength literally to align how we live with who we have become in Jesus. And the key to this, my friends, it's not about trying hard to overcome the power of sin. It's not about what we do as much as we might try to discipline ourselves and accomplish what God wants to accomplish. And that is because we're quite frankly not able on our own to do this thing. What it is about is God's strength literally at work in me and in you enabling us to say no to sin, to say yes to holiness. Is that going on in your life? Are you encountering God like that? Famous verse uh, or two in, in 2 Corinthians 12. Paul, the apostle, uh, the great leader and, uh, and missionary of the first century church, has just said that God had given him a thorn in the flesh. And we really don't know biblically what that was. It could be people, it could be the blindness that, that we know he had or, or difficulty he had seeing uh, at the time. It could be a, a, sim, a sin of some sort. But God had given them, him this thorn in the flesh. And then verses 9 and 10 say this. He says it. 
But he said to me, the Lord said to Paul, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore I will boast all the more gladly about my weakness so that Christ's power may rest on me. Now, leave that up there for a second, guys. Well, there's more to come. I'm sorry. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weakness and insults and hardships and persecutions and difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am. Say it with me. Strong. You want to be strong in Christ? You want to have the capacity to overcome sin and its power in your life, which just tears at the fabric of your life and your relationships and the lives of the people you love? We've got to recognize our weakness. Because when we recognize our weakness, i.e., I can't do it, then I am strong because the Spirit of God moves in that moment and enables us to do what we can't do otherwise. This, this is a profound spiritual reality. And you see, it moves us away from trying to, 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 to give ourselves uh, and relying on our own ability and, and our determination and our will and our strength. <laughs> We have to stop trying so hard to fully enter into an ongoing and personal relationship with an experience of Jesus and his power. <sighs> Ephesians 5, I quoted a few minutes ago. That list of things that God was saying, be, you know, follow my example and turn away from this and that and don't do this and... Later on in that same chapter, chapter 5 of Ephesians, verse 18, it says this, well-known verse, do not get drunk on wine which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. <laughs> you know, don't drink so much that it's influencing what you do, right? And causing you to do things you regret later and sin. Instead, be filled up with me, Jesus is inviting us to, so that he powerfully present in us, working within us by his spirit. He influences what we do, but not towards sin, but toward holiness. You see, this is, the, this is the way we can take hold of holiness. It's really not about me. It's definitely not about my strength and my capacity. It is entirely about God and what God does in me. Now, I'm going to use an illustration uh, from my own life. I, I shared this one briefly with you a few months ago, and you know, but it's just too perfect to not use again. Like, I mean, it's just the illustration uh, that, that will make this point to you. And I'll give it a little more detail. I've shared with you my struggle, and I've been somewhat vulnerable, is that I can eat in an ungodly way. I think this has been since my childhood. One of my mother's things was she honestly believed, and rightly so, that the way to love her family was to feed them well. And my goodness, could that woman cook and bake and... You know, it was every day we'd have, you know, homemade desserts and I could tell stories. But, you know, all, especially the sweet stuff I loved. You know, what happened in my life over a bunch of years, even from my youngest years, I think I, I've grown up to come to that place where I've turned to food for my comfort or for my pleasure or for my help. Um, you know, when I'm down or when I'm stressed or anxious and where, when I'm discouraged, the, the habit of my life, and I've referenced habits before, hitting your thumb with a hammer, and the habit of my life is be, being to turn to food. 
Um, and to eat too much. Quite frankly, eat in an unholy or ungodly way. Depending on food, not on God. Turning to food, not to Christ himself to meet my need in those instances. Well, about a year ago um, now, uh, my daughter Brienne, who was back home doing school on, online and so forth, we were sitting at the table one day and she said to me, um, Dad, you're in your 60s. You're overweight, and I don't want you to die. And I thought, hmm, that's an interesting thing. And then she said to me, I think we should get up early every morning and go, go for a good walk, get you healthy. I said, well, I'll think about it. Let me, let me pray about that a little bit. <laughs> you know, I'm thinking, are you out of your mind? You know? <laughs> but, you know, I really sense God saying do it. So we've done it for a year until like two weeks ago when she got married. And I continue to do it, uh, even in her absence. At the same time, I was reading through the Gospel of John, and you've had some series and some sermons from John since. And I was at John chapter 5, and it, it tells about, right at the beginning, Jesus comes to the pool of Bethsaida in Jerusalem. And it says as he walks up to that, that pool, um, he sees this mass of people who were broken. They believed that when the water stirred, if they could jump into the pool, they would be healed. But it also says that they were lame and that they were blind and they were paralyzed. It's not a pretty picture. How does a lame, paralyzed person get to the pool? Um, but I, as I read this text, I, looked, I said, that's humanity without Christ. Broken. The old translation I was reading talked about these people being both disabled and invalid. I don't think we tend to use those words anymore. Not so politically correct, but you get the point. They're not able to live as they wish to live. Um, and God's Spirit, I believe, said to me, you know, Chris, in the context of my thinking about health and unhealthy eating and godly eating, he, the Spirit of God said, that's you. In your brokenness, in your being overweight, <laughs> you know, this isn't what I have for you. I saw myself in those folks. Um, Jesus saw one man who had been there for 38 years. 38 years. And that day, that would be in a lifetime. And I thought, I've been eating like this for 61 years at the time. That's a long, long time. And then I read verse 6, which I'll read to you now. When Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, he asked him, do you want to get well? And I want to tell you, my friends, in that moment, I knew that God was asking me a question. Do you want to get well? Um, <laughs> or do you want to live the rest of your life dependent on food for your well-being? And you know, my response, uh, I believe, arose from the, my new heart. The heart that Christ has made new within me. And my response from the core of my being is, that's not what I want. And from that moment on, and for about three months, every time I sat before a dessert or a cookie, and you know I love cookies, right? <laughs> or a piece of pie, anything. And I thought about 
eating it. Question. Chris, do you want to go, well? And my response, that's not what I want. And you know what? I really didn't want it. <laughs> there was something in me, the, the, the renewed Chris, the regenerate Chris, the Chris whose heart had been changed, I was in touch with it, and I was able to say, no, I don't want it because I didn't want it, and I didn't want it. And that began a process of weight loss in my life, which I'm sure you're all very you know, aware of. <laughs> um, and, you know, 12 months later, I'm 25 pounds lighter. Right? Now, let me say this to you. I'm not saying that with any pride. Because for 61 years, I couldn't do that. <laughs> Wasn't it obvious? <laughs> and I just kept creeping up and creeping up and creeping up and creeping up. Oh, every now and then I drop a few pounds. I'm going to diet, you know. And it would creep up and creep up and creep up. I couldn't do it. But I want to tell you, my friends, it was God who did it in me. Do you see it? Do you hear it? It's not about me. <laughs> this is not about my strength. This is not about my capacity or my ability. It's entire about, entirely about God and his touch in my life. Getting me in touch with my heart's desire, my new heart's desire, and enable me to live in a new way according to a new heart by his empowering spirit. I want to tell you, for about three months, it was easy. <laughs> I never experienced anything like this in my life. Pie, cookie, Tim Horton's donut, no desire. God gave me that desire. Now, after about three months, it wasn't quite like that. I think God blessed me beautifully for three months, and I said, okay, Chris, let's move forward together. And sometimes it's a challenge still. Um, but the reality is that still the presence and the power of God's Spirit is enabling me. Um, and I am so thankful to God because of what God has done by His grace in me. I'm not here patting myself on the shoulder. Please understand, I appreciate your applause. That's nice. But it needs to go that way. And I, I want to conclude by focusing your attention on this. What God wants to do in us is perform miracles. You ever had a miracle happen in your life? I had a miracle happen in my life. I just described it to you. Number one, the first miracle is God, by his power, transforming our hearts, changing us at the core of our being when we are saved. Right? When we come into that place of faith, the miracle of a changed heart. And then there's the miracle of God's word to me. You can have this too. It's all up, you know, Ignore the Bible, it won't happen. But if you want to go to the Bible and say, God, work in me by the, by the work of your Holy Spirit to open my eyes to see the things that, I, that you want me to see so that I can understand your voice in my life, you know, that's what he desires. That's what he'll do because that's what he wants. So there was the miracle of God's word spoken so clearly to me. And then there was the miracle of God strengthening me in my weakness. Can you call it anything other than that? Someone at the end of the day, 
my question to you as we talk about your holiness and mine um, is very simply, are you experiencing the reality which Scripture is bringing to us today? I mean, it's a yes or a no, right? I mean, <laughs> knowing the reality of a new heart, knowing the power of the Word of God which goes from the head to the heart, knowing the enablement of the Spirit of God moving within us, even giving us the desires of God, right? Or enabling us, and enabling us just to say no. Or yes, depending on the circumstance. Listen. If you have a sense that your heart has not been made new, I want to talk to you. And I want to tell you, your heart can be made new. And all we have to do as human beings is open up our lives to Christ and say, Lord Jesus, come into my life. <laughs> and that work that you did on the cross which enables now the forgiveness of my sin, forgive me. I get so much I need forgiven of. And then, Lord, come and work by your Spirit in me. But invite Christ to come in and he will change your heart. And then in that place, can I say, if, if, if you're aware of sin and a, a need for change because of holiness, can I ask you to simply stop trying? I hope you understand what I mean in the context of this sermon. Your effort won't accomplish it. Sin is too powerful. Your enemy, the devil, is too powerful. Oh, you might succeed for a week or two or five. But that sin is still there. And discover the power of God within. I guess what I'm asking you is, do you want to experience the miracle? You see, I'm so tired of religion where people do the right things and they look the right way, but they're not encountering the reality and the presence and the power of Jesus in so many different ways. We're not called to religion. We're called to the encounter with God that will make us new. See, what I'm describing to you, isn't it true? A deeply spiritual process where we encounter grace which leads us to holiness. I say to you, IPC, whether you're here, whether you're at home, discover that grace which will make you holy. Let's pray. Lord, you call us uh, to yourself and you call us away from ourselves in a sense. And always this gospel, no, ma no matter what expression of it we might find, it's always about what you and what you have done and your power. And it's not about us and what we have done and our strength. And God, I pray for th this people gathered before you in homes and in this place and I pray that you will make them holy. I pray that they will take your example and learn to live it out. I pray that you will enable them slowly to just get rid of all the old habits of thought and of action. And I pray that they will become holy, morally pure, as you are holy. And Lord, in this request, obviously, what we ask for today is for you to perform your miracles in us. Lord, where hearts need to be made new, I pray that you'll make them new. 
And I pray that those who are listening to me who have never opened their hearts fully and completely to Jesus and committed themselves to him unreservedly, I pray they'll do it, Lord, and experience regeneration, being born again, new reality within. Lord, I pray those who are struggling with sin would just stop struggling and they would turn their attention to you and their relationship with you and their experience of you. And I pray that by your spirit, you will speak by your word to bring healing. And God, I pray for this people and I pray that each of these folks, Lord, will discover your power. That thing which Ezekiel wrote about so, so long ago. The power of your Holy Spirit and work in their lives, enabling them to do what only you can enable them to do. For you are more powerful than sin. Lord, lead us in this incredibly spiritual encounter with you. Take us deeper, Lord. Take us from the surface of that's where we have lived in our dependence on ourselves. Take us from turning to food or whatever it might be. Turn us to you where we might find the healing, the strengthening, the salvation of God. As we pray in Jesus' name, amen.